Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Dave DeBow here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, our guest is a longtime real estate entrepreneur, Nate Atkin. Nate actually grew up in and around real estate investing. His father had a property management company. Nate was telling me he's been delivering notices to tenants and whatnot. I think he said since he was four years old. <laughs> <laughs> so you did well that was a that was a smart move on your dad's part to send out the cute little kid with the notice people aren't going to yell at the cute little four-year-old they yell at him so smart man your father and anyhow nate's been in actively investing in real estate for quite some time now i think nate you said you did your first deal in about geez 2007 give or take 2006 yeah. 2007 and these days he focuses a lot on the Burr strategy. So we're going to be taking a, a deep dive into that. Plus, Nate's got a really interesting background and a, and a great story and a great uh, kind of a unfair advantage, if you would, or a secret sauce when it comes to real estate investing. And that's stick to which we'll be talking about as well. So Nate, welcome to the show. Great day. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. So Tell us a little bit. We won't go too far into the backstory because we don't have a heck of a lot of time for for all of that. But just in a in a thirty second encapsulated view, tell us a little bit about your your real estate experience growing up in and around real estate, like you did. Yeah, you bet, Dave. You kind of started off there. Thank you for that. The the notice introduction. Yes, I was a young man. My father started a real a property management company. And uh, as a young boy, I learned through osmosis. My brother and I were out delivering notices and cleaning out catch basins as uh, as young guys, four, five, six years old. And and then when I came out of university, went and worked for for the the family business and property management. And so um, the first experience in real estate investing was in the condominium field. And then we've evolved from there, Dave. Nice, nice. All right. So these days, you're focusing more on the Burr strategy. First things first. What's your definition of Burr? And why do you like this strategy? Why do you prefer it? Well, Dave, um, great question. Uh, the Burr strategy as defined is we buy a property, we come in, we do uh, strategic renovations. Uh, then when we're done the renovations, we rent we rent the property, we refinance the property, and then we go ahead and we try to repeat, as you mm -hmm. know. So the reason we like that strategy so much, Dave, is because coming from investing in condominium corporations, it was kind of a one strategy, one size fits that particular pocket. And uh, my background outside of real estate investing, um, and and we'll get into some of the other details, has always been construction, restoration, and building sciences. Mm -hmm. And and so my skill sets are property management and construction. The two things that people find so daunting, real estate investors, to me, have always been so natural. So the Burr strategy fits that perfectly. I'm able to come in there and use my skill sets of of uh, deal analysis, finding properties, performing the the strategic renovations, and then pulling out that capital and doing it again, Dave. So what kind of properties are you typically looking at? What market area do you focus on, Nate? Great, great question. Thank you. Yeah, we we focus in, uh, we've been focusing in on kind of the GTA West, uh, more specifically Hamilton area. And the properties we look for, we do look for distressed properties. We're looking for properties that we can come in there we can make sure that we can provide a lift in that property. So we know we're going to get a good deal on the buy. We're going to perform those strategic renovations. So we're going to lift that value up. And we know that the after repair value is going to sit somewhere that 
we're happy with when we refinance it and pull that capital back out. So I hear you, you're talking a lot about strategic renovations. What does that mean exactly? What are you typically doing? Uh, again, great, great question. We're looking at renovations that we know are going to help us on the other side with high rents, things that are in demand. So, you know, no big surprise in some of these areas here. We know that what renters are looking for are going to be things in terms of finishes. We're looking at kitchens and bathrooms that, you know, right now, um, you know, the renters, the rental market right now is, is, is very competitive. People are willing to pay higher rents. But at the same time, we need to make sure that the finishes are going to fit what they're looking for. So quartz countertops, uh, often, you know, pot lights are important to, to tenants. Now, good, uh, durable flooring is important to tenants and it's important for us as landlords as well. Uh, we're also looking at open spaces, open concepts. So we're coming mm -hmm. in and we're opening rooms up to provide space for the tenants that we know they're going to be looking for on the other side. Very cool. So, Nate, I'm I'm kind of curious here because yeah at the time that we're recording this especially in ontario especially in the gta the supply demand side of things for for rental properties there's people lining up to rent properties these days so folks might be thinking well why why even bother why do we need to do these kind of renovations if we can just rent it out and almost charge what we want for these kind of properties so um give me an idea just maybe of a recent deal a property that you've purchased, what was the before renovated value and the before rents compared to the afters? Great question. Um, I'll give you two examples. The first yeah. is going to be one where we did do a burn. The other is actually, we just we just firmed up a deal last week in a property that uh, we're actually implementing a different strategy. So the first one is going to be a, a fourplex in, in downtown Hamilton. And we were able to come in there. This property was very distressed. So we were able to uh, come in on a in, in a purchase that was in the $800,000 range, um, four units, three of them vacant. And by the time we were done with relatively extensive renovations, we, uh, we were able to put $160,000 in. Uh, the value on the other side was just below $1.3 million. Wow. So yeah, so so of course, now the market has since shifted and we, we are seeing changes with rates and qualifications and uh, and things like that. But the birth strategy is still effective and can be if you're sourcing the right properties and you're using, uh, you know, construction that is experienced. Uh, we're running numbers effectively so we know what we're looking for. So what were the rents on these units before and what are they going to be now? Rents on these units were under or just around a thousand dollars, and right wow. now the property is rented. So right now we're we're seeing in a two bedroom basement, uh, we're seeing seventeen hundred, we're seeing um, eighteen fifty in a one bedroom third floor loft, and we're seeing twenty two fifty in a two bedroom main floor unit. Wow! 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 So bottom line is you've almost doubled rents by doing this, this, this kind of a, a renovation on this fourplex. Fantastic. You said you had a second example for us as well. Which one, what's that one? Yeah, we just firmed up on a deal last week. It's a triplex in Hamilton as well. And this property is actually already finished. It's been renovated. So um, we normally don't, it's important as investors, uh, as you know, Dave, to, to not have blinders on and closed off to just one market, one thing only. We do like to make sure that we focus in 
on a strategy in a market. However, if we have blinders on, sometimes we miss great opportunities. So yeah. we, we had an opportunity come across that is a vacant triplex, fully renovated. It's about a, a, a one minute walk from where the new LRT is going to be. And this property is um, uh, is, is is ready to go. So we were able to come it's in turnkey. here. Yeah. It's turnkey. We were able to come in there at just just over $100,000 under market value with an offer and conditions that we found advantageous. And, uh, and we're able to lock in and, and firm up this deal for us and one of our joint venture partners. So we're very excited about that. Well, that is exciting. So just out of curiosity, was the 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 person that sold you the the property they're a little on the motivated side they're under the gun for something so they had to kind of unload this sooner rather than later is that what happened they they're they're certainly motivated um and i'll tell you there's a lot of um there's a lot of focus spent on off market and wholesaling and, and those sorts of things which i think are phenomenal strategies this property was uh was a property that was just prepared on to go on the mls just was listed so there are deals out there on the MLS, despite what. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings up another question, Nate. So it sounds like you're you're actively doing this. Are you a full time real estate investor yourself, or or would you consider yourself part time at this point? Great question. I think that the time spent feels like full time day, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the old active passive uh, line. We know how that yeah. goes. There's no such thing really as truly uh, as truly passive. But no, we um, we do spend quite a bit of time. Uh, 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 as real estate investors, it's our passion right now. We we um, we dedicate a great deal of resources to it. I do have uh, another business that I, I have as well, which I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier too. I have a company that we do um, architectural aluminum products. I have a window door and a railing company that I started many years ago, and um, and that's that's something that we still operate as well. Fortunately, it's in a position that I have a lot of great people working for me. Okay, um, cool. So yeah, so we're able to dedicate our resources to to other things, including real estate investing and some other uh, ventures that my wife and I have been passionate about. Nice, nice. So Nate, you talked a little bit about off market deals. You talked a little bit about you found this most recent one on on MLS. What are you typically doing to generate leads for your your properties? Because if, if you're doing burrs, typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, but typically you're finding off-market deals because you have to go in there and get them significantly discounted for everything to make sense. So what's working best for you these days in around the GTA? And for our American friends, that means you know the around Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, great question. Definitely uh, being tapped into a network of fantastic uh, wholesalers, um, uh, realtors who realtors who have access to off market deals is very very important. So uh, to be a to be a real real estate investor and to find success, we do firmly believe that you really do need to be out. You need to be active in the community. You need to be part of as many real estate associations and groups and socials and as possible. So we we are that indeed. We're very, very involved with uh, different mentorship groups and communities. So we spend a lot of time networking and connecting with wholesalers and other realtors who have access to off-market deals. Smart. All right. So you really are leveraging. So yeah, I like that, Nate, because you're leveraging other people's marketing. So instead of you guys trying to go direct to seller, you know, and beat the bushes and do the direct mail and do the Facebook ads and do all that kind of stuff, you're letting wholesalers focus on that 
They do all the marketing, they do all that kind of stuff. And then you just really tap into those relationships. You say, hey, instead of me trying to figure out how to do all of that stuff, let's let those guys and gals focus on what they're good at. Let me focus on what I'm good at. And then now instead of having to churn through gazillions of, of people sending you not so great deals because you're going direct to seller, now you get to cherry pick because wholesalers are bringing you deals that theoretically should be automatically uh, have built-in margins. Would that be fair to say? That would be very accurate. And I, and I do want to say that we we had we did indeed um, implement the strategies of driving for dollars and flyer ads and campaigns. And, mm -hmm. and we still do carry in my glove box. I do have my flyer with me. I drop it off quite often if I see a distressed home. And I think that those strategies are very effective. And I and, and the strategies of um, you know sourcing, utilizing um, driving for dollars and flyers to to source these deals is very effective. We've got to a point where we've uh, kind of like the book who not how says we're able mm, yeah. to we're able to definitely delegate and find as many who's that we can so we can focus on our strengths and it, it, we it's a reciprocated benefit there because you know the wholesalers and the real realtors in our network uh do what they do best yeah. and then and if we're able to close we do what we do best and it's a reciprocated value there so we found our place that way so nate just for people that maybe haven't tapped into that yet what do you typically paying a wholesaler for a deal. I know it's going to be all across the board, depending on the size and that sort of thing, but just so people can kind of get their head around this, what does that look like? At what point do you have to pay that person? What's typically the, the, the spread that you're looking for? And do they already know that coming ahead? Or are you getting a lot of crappy deals thrown across your desk as well? Another really great question, Dave, and I don't want to upset my wholesaler friends out there, so I'm going to say that uh, it's uh, it's a great strategy. I think that it, it's it's very deal dependent. It yeah. is very very property specific, so there is no um, particular I, I, I range that we can identify and say, okay, this is that's way too much. No, no, no. In fact, uh, I know wholesalers who have made a hundred thousand dollar wholesale fee on a property, and it's a win-win scenario for the buyer and for the wholesaler. And yeah. then there are circumstances where there may be a wholesale fee that we feel we can certainly negotiate down, and we think that it's fair for the wholesaler. We, we think it's fail, fair for 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 us or our partners as well. So there's definite. It's a it's a it's a property by property. A unique circumstance that you need to be prepared to negotiate and make sure that, you know what, we always want to leave with a win-win scenario. No, most definitely. But I guess just, again, I don't want you to put anybody on the spot, but if you're looking at a single family home, typically what's kind of the, the, the purchase price range that you're looking at, I get it. it but if you, if you average out your last five single family homes, what do you think the the average price would be on those, and what what would be give or take a ballpark of what a, a a wholesale fee would be on those kind of deals? Yeah, so some of the some of the duplex conversions in the market and regions that we look at um, in the between six and seven hundred fifty thousand dollar range purchase price, depending on the market. You know, a year and a half ago it was much higher, and now it's dropping a little bit lower. But we're seeing wholesaler fees in the you know thirty thousand dollar range for these properties. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. And then typically your lift on those kind of properties obviously is significantly higher than that for it to be worthwhile for you. Yeah, absolutely. So you have kind of a ballpark figure that you're looking for. You want to be able to lift yeah. it at least 
a hundred yeah, grand or something like absolutely. that. Absolutely. A model would be something that we would look at in that region in particular, for example, in, in, in those areas where we would know that if we're coming in, in the low sixes, low to mid sixes, we want to make sure that our ARV on that is going to be close to nine, Dave. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, there's so many smart things that you guys are doing. That is great. Now, when it comes to coming up with the money to do your deals, I, I understand that you work with joint venture partners, What's worked well for you for finding JV partners and raising capital for your deals? Well, like many real estate investors, we started off with our own money and uh, found out pretty quickly that that can only take you so far. And so we, uh, we were able to buy as many properties as we could, qualify as much as we could. And uh, you get to a point where people are taking notice of the things that you're doing and start to share interest in that. And Quite often, these people are within your network that you maybe didn't even realize it um, until they started to reach out and, and share interest in what you're doing. And, and once they do, uh, we've been able to utilize strategies on, on things that uh, actually you've been so well at articulating over the years. Uh, things like simple email strategies, just uh, getting together and doing presentations and letting people know just essentially this is what we're doing. Um, and it kind of starts off that way. Nothing too scientific, but here's the deal. Here's the numbers. This is what we've done. And um, people kind of say, oh, wow, that seems like a great way for me to diversify what I've been doing. And, and it kind of evolved from there, Dave. Yeah. And without having to actually pick up a hammer or figure out how to do it on their own. Without a doubt, absolutely. You bet. Yeah, that, that is huge. So Nate, um, what would you say is one of your biggest pain points when it comes to scaling your real estate investing business? Yeah, it's definitely... Um, going out and being able to um, source the capital that you're 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 always looking for i think mm -hmm. that that's always going to be something that um, for us we're able to keep our finger on the pulse in terms of deals which is great and then being able to make sure that we continuously find partners that work well with our philosophy um, because yeah i think it's important that you don't just a partnership is a marriage in business mm -hmm. it's, it's no different than that and being able to 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 be compatible with folks that have capital to invest and grow and share the same philosophy as you, that would probably be the most challenging part to really successfully scale. Yeah, I, I can relate to that, my friend. And, uh, you know, <laughs> painful partnerships not working out, a divorce here or there. <laughs> <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so Nate, based on where you're at today, if you wanted to double the the revenue and the profits from your real estate investing business, what do you think would have to change or, or what would be the new challenge that you would be facing? That's a fantastic question. We're actually in the process right now of, of uh, pivoting strategies and, 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 um, and, and locate, well, I shouldn't say strategies, uh, markets, in fact. And, okay. and, and the reason being is that um, we've uh, connected with some fantastic folks as well who are doing great things uh, south of the border. Mm -hmm. So we're actually looking right now at what the same capital uh, can provide us, our company and our partners with south of the border. So we're looking at some markets in the United States. And like I said, I've been able to connect with some great mentors who are who are utilizing the birth strategy south of the border. So we're we're looking to go there. We've actually already been researching different markets and areas, and that's going to be where we're going to be turning our focus. Oh, that is fascinating. Yeah, I'm just, it's its funny how things happen, Nate. I was just interviewing an, another gentleman earlier today 
So the, the, his episode will show up as well. And, and that's, that's his whole focus. He's, he's in Ontario, but he's been investing virtually. He's been wholesaling virtually in the States. Now he's wanting to set things up so he can hold on to some of these properties. So yeah, he's going through all of the, all, all of the stuff on how to set up the corporate structures and how to set up everything. So his Canadian investors can invest down in the States and not get double whack with double taxation, all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, that's great. fascinating, fascinating stuff. All right. So Nate, we were talking a little bit at the beginning off camera about what Kiyosaki calls your unfair advantage. And for folks that aren't familiar with that, Jesus, I wish I could remember which book that was, but one of Kiyosaki's books, he talks about all of us bring an unfair advantage to the table when it comes to pretty much anything that we do. Uh, but especially when it comes to real estate investing, it's that thing that comes easy to you that other people might find challenging. Uh, it's kind of your secret sauce. So Nate, what would you, what would you say? It sounds like you got several, but if you had to pick one, which one sticks out the most for you? Yes, our friend Kiyosaki. Uh, that's a great question, Dave. Thank you. And for me, without a doubt, it's definitely uh, the ability to persevere and never quit. Never quit no matter what. Yeah. Well, I think it was, are you familiar with Chet Holmes? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Big-headed determination. I think he, he called it something <laughs> like that. Anyhow, I love that. So what, is, what does that mean to you? And more importantly, Nate, how the hell can the rest of us maybe get better at it? Oh boy, that's such a great question, Dave. And uh, yeah, I've been working with with helping several several people uh, in that area. In fact, because I think that we would both agree that the biggest the biggest obstacle people face is uh, well, so first is the lack of action to actually jump in and take action, and the second is going to be a stick to it to stick yeah. to something and make sure that they can stay through it. So, so at, at the time at the time we're recording this, it's early in the new year, and I mm. think uh, you know a lot of people started off with new year's resolutions in January, right around this time, early February, that's where they all fall off. So how do we avoid falling off? Yeah, I've started to see Dave, I started to notice the, 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 the numbers peeling off at my gym actually. So I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to wait in line for the, for the bench that's press right. machine or anything anymore. That's right. right. Yeah. So here, here, here it is here. Um, this is the way I like to break it down for people. You've got discipline and consistency. Those are the two traits that you need to succeed. In my opinion, that essentially is going to be really it. And the beauty of these two things is this. You, you don't have to be born with a special genetic gift to have either of those two things. Thank Every, God. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, right? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Every single, the beauty is that every single one of us has the ability to have discipline and consistency. Now, those two things, I like to break down discipline like this. Discipline is like a muscle, okay? It needs to be worked. It's not, uh, we can't just leave it there and expect it to, to that muscle, Dave, to grow. Uh, discipline needs to be practiced and worked on. It's something that starts off slow. We, we don't shoot for a lot. The biggest mistake people make is they shoot for the moon the first shot. Mm. And if either they fail or they ex exhaust themselves out and they, they quit and they die. So discipline is something that can be worked on piece by piece. And we, of course, we could spend a whole podcast getting into the strategies that you can utilize to have better discipline. But discipline is step one. You need to recognize the fact that you need discipline and different things that you can do to, to, to help you with your discipline. The second is going to be consistency. Well, well, sorry, bud. I'm sorry yep. for jumping in here, but I, I do 
we can't spend the whole podcast on this, but what would be one quick tip or example of somebody who's not naturally disciplined, helping themselves to become more disciplined? So what I like to teach people is this, like I mentioned a moment ago, it's you need to start with small steps. So the the easiest way for somebody to start exercising their discipline muscle is say, okay, identify that goal that they have and then break that goal down into much smaller steps. Mm-hmm. And if we, you know, a moment ago, we spoke about exercise. Well, an example, a discipline and exercise would be somebody who says, okay, I'm going to get up. Uh, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, and run 10 kilometers. That's what I'm going to do starting Monday. And this person, they've never went for a jog in their life, Dave. So we <laughs> both know what's going to happen. They're going to get a kilometer into the first jog. They're going to say, forget this, I'm done. So right. <laughs> the same thing goes for anything in life. You said, if you're going to set a goal for yourself to buy your first income property, I think that we need to break it down into small steps and decide, okay, maybe the first step is going to be, I'm going to reach out to three realtors who are investment realtors and book a meeting. That's my first step. Just that simple. And nice. you can, and you can, you, you can, you can achieve that goal. It's a micro goal. And then your next goal is going to be to reach out to three brokers who are investment focused brokers. And I'm going to have a meeting with three of them. So you're going to break down your goals into micro goals. And that's a way to exercise your discipline muscle. And the beauty of that is when you start to succeed at your micro goals, your confidence grows and you actually begin to stick to things and you stack them. So that's how you can start with discipline, Dave. Love it. All right. Thank you very much for that concrete example. Let's talk about the consistency side of things. Consistency, Dave, I'm obsessed with consistency. And the reason for that is I'm going to do a, uh, I'm going to provide a great example that will correlate right back to real estate. Yeah. Consistency, in my opinion, can actually cover up mistakes and flaws over time. And the reason being is this, for example, you could, you could buy a property that, you may make a mistake on the buy. You may make an error with your renovations. Something, a water main may break. Your roof may leak. We're long-term buy and hold investors. And with consistency, if you hang on to that property long enough, I promise you that you're going to make money and you're going to build wealth. The same thing goes for everything else in your life. If you're consistent with something, if you're consistently investing and earning compound interest, if you're consistently exercising and your health is getting better and improving and your heart health is improving and your cells, your cellular health is improving. Consistency is by far the number one thing that is a determinant of your success over the long term. You know what? Yeah, that's for good and for bad. That's definitely held true for me in my life. Continues to. Yeah, it's it's all about that. I'm gonna share a little personal story here with you, Nate, that that I'd love your input on because uh yeah, it, it kind of ties in with all of this. So at the beginning of the whole pandemic thing, I was horrendously out of shape. Like I'm I'm five foot eight on a good day. And uh I was weighing 223 pounds, which means I should have been like seven foot three. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I was I was just it was it was rough, and then the pandemic hit. It's like, okay, in lockdown and all this kind of stuff. I thought, I got to, I got to do something about this. And I heard about this crazy thing called 75 hard. You've probably heard of that, haven't you? So I thought, okay, I'm going to give this 75 hard thing a try. And I tell you what, 
that was a phenomenal way to create, for me personally, at least, some discipline that I didn't have in my life at that time. And of course, I failed miserably at my first kick of the can at 75 hard. But part of the, and for folks that aren't familiar with this, it's, and I can't remember all of it. I should, I went through it twice. I should remember everything, everything vividly, but bottom line, you have to exercise two times a day for at least 45 minutes. One of them has to be outdoors. You have to follow a very strict diet with uh, there. Oh, look at you. You got the book there. Very, very strict diet with no deviations. You have to take a selfie picture. You have to weigh yourself. You have to drink four freaking liters of water every single day. And if you miss any one thing, you have to reset the clock and start over again from day one. So here's how I cheated on 75 hard, Nate, is the first time through, I made it to day 42 or 43. Good for you. And I forgot to take my goddamn selfie picture. That's the thing I screwed. It's not that I missed a workout or cheat. And then I sat and then I... But what was interesting was everything was going on in my head. When I figured out, I forgot. It was like, oh, shit. Okay. That's, well, I'm going to go drink my face off. I'm going to go pig out mm. and then I'll restart in two weeks. But then I, then I said, hey, Debo, you know yourself. If you go down that path, you're very good chance you won't restart in a week or two weeks. You'll, you'll forget about it. So I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to finish the 75 days anyhow but I'm not going to call it a win. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to dis- I'm going to follow the discipline to follow the program for 75 days, but I'm not going to do the reset if I forget to take my damn selfie or some damn thing like that. So I did. And then, uh, and it worked quite well. And then I did take a couple of weeks off and then I restarted again. And the second time through, I actually made the 75 days. Wow. Good for but, you, Dave. But I tell you what, the discipline of doing that was was probably the biggest thing for me because I grew up, my dad went through, he was in the military, went through boot camp and all that kind of stuff. So he had forced discipline instilled in him at a young age. I never did. So this is kind of my middle age, try to play a little catch up type thing. What are your thoughts about something like that, Nate? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, congratulations. That's uh, it's quite the feat. Uh, I am uh, obviously very familiar with 75 Hard and uh, Andy Frasilla's program. And a lot of people think that 75 hard is a, is a, a, a workout program, but it's not, it's actually a, a, a mental strength program. And Andy breaks it down quite, quite well. When he explains to people that if you can get through it, the reality is that you're another person on the other side, you've developed those two things we talked about, Dave, discipline mm-hmm. and consistency. So good yeah. for you. And, um, I, I do think that the, the way the program is broken out, you know, we talk a lot about habits and how long it takes to develop a habit. There's, there's debate on if it's 21 days, if it's, you know, 40 days, 50 days, 75 days, 75 <laughs> in this case, right? 46 in, in some cases, right? right yeah, Dave? Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I do think that um, it's a great way to, f- here's the thing. If you're going to jump into a program like 75 hard, the first step is that you have to be ready and you have to want it. You have to know that I'm going into this with the, with, for the right reasons. It's like, it's like quitting smoking. I tell you, you know, if you're not ready to quit, you're not going to, if you're not ready to jump into the program, you won't succeed. You have to have come to the place where you say, okay, I, I want change. I need change and I'm ready for change. 
and then you go ahead and you start a program like this and your chance for success. It's not the first day, the first week, the first two weeks that are the most difficult is when you get to that point where, you know, the, the glory is over. It's not, you're not taught telling your, your friends are sick of hearing about it. It's been it's past two, three weeks. <laughs> they're like that's 75. What God Dave, we, we've heard about that already. Yeah. And then you're, you're in those, those days of the thirties and forties where it gets really hard. Everything hurts it's raining and you're out doing your walk or your jog. And, you know, those are the days in life. That's the analogy where life, where it's a rainy day and it's, you don't feel like going out and looking at property. You don't feel like going to the gym. You don't feel like, you know, you know, taking your kids out and playing ball. Those are the days of life where it's raining and you need to continue to have discipline and consistency and persist through. And I think that 75 hard is a great example of that. So, and I applaud you. Good, good for you, Dave. That's incredible. Well, here's, here's the challenge. Here's what I wanted to ask you about Dave, because it sounds like you got this way better dialed in than most of the rest of us. And, you know, 75 was hard, was good for me, but then after I finished, not those habits didn't necessarily stick. That's, that's the thing, mm. man. I've, I've chubbed up again. Um, yeah, definitely yeah. not thrilled about the idea of doing 75 hardy. And it's, it's, it's keeping that okay. up after that. It seemed like a temporary fix. So thoughts. Yes, definitely. Great question. And this goes for anything that we've done. And, and as you know, you know, my wife and I are, have been professional fitness competitors over the years. We've done several things. And the reality is that when you have a program like this and you're working through something you're you're fixated you're on it you're in the zone you're ready you're engaged you have to prepare for the next thing before mm -hmm. the present thing is done so if you have a date in mind 75th day uh a lot of people you know not, not to suggest you dave but a lot of people on the 76th day They've got margaritas and cases of pizza and they're they're That's it. They're rocking and rolling. Did you it's tap it? Did you tap into my iPhone somehow? And inspire me? What's going on? <laughs> um, <laughs> nice, Dave. You know what? You and everybody else, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, normal. Yeah. So I want everyone to feel normal when that's the case. But a strategy to help make sure that you don't fall off is having something, the next thing prepared and ready. Mm. It doesn't have to be something as aggressive as 75 hard, but you, for example, you, okay, you know what? So I'm going to fill these gaps that 75 hard is filling for me. I'm, I'm going to, I now have a, a I'm going to make sure that I have a nutritionist, put a, a meal plan together for me after day 75. I'm signed up at, at orange theory. I'm going to be doing two classes a week, or I'm going to be spinning with my friends in the cycling club, or I'm going to be uh, going rowing, whatever your thing is. And I want to make that clear too. Uh, you know, going to the gym is not everybody's thing. Going for mm -hmm. a jog is not, but you fill that gap with whatever your thing is going to be. And you make sure that when that day comes, you have the next thing lined up. And that's very important for, for long-term sustained success. That's fantastic advice. Nate, there's been a lot of fun. Real estate, fitness, 75 hard. We've covered it all. People want to connect with you, find out more about Nate Atkin. What should they do? Thank you, Dave. Yeah, it has been fun. Two ways you can connect with me. One is going to be through Instagram. It's going to be nate.atkin. That's my handle. The other is going to be Hummingbird Capital Properties, both on Instagram, our website as well. And yeah, listen, uh, you know, I'm very, very passionate about teaching, uh, you know, busy, hardworking men how to have consistency and resiliency in their life. So I'd be more than happy to connect with anybody out there, Dave. It's my pleasure. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode.